guys, welcome back to the Well Said Podcast. We're back for another discussion on a very contentious and complicated subject that we're probably not even going to have time for again today, but we're going to give it another try. How's it going, man? Yeah, this is going to be like machine gun speed. We're, we're going to be going fast. Yeah, there's on. so much to cover, but before that... We're coming to you guys from our new studio today. Sam, the tell closet. us. closet. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> Covered in foam so we don't have much echo. Yeah, we actually used a couch cushion too to do a little support here to help absorb some of the sound. So This is why we need your support, guys. Yes. <laughs> Usually we say this in the end, but this time we'll say it in the beginning. We are so committed to bring you guys everything we can, even though with the small amount of time we have. That we relocated the sofa cushions to the closet. Yeah. And if you are uh, so amazed at our commitment and so uh, motivated or inspired by what we're doing here, you just head on over to well-said.org. There's a support button that'll tell you all about more ways that you can be part of this process. Anyways. um, We'll even write you a thank you letter. Yeah, we will. There's... There's more ways for us to connect and to work together and to share content and grow together mm-hmm. and follow Jesus in this crazy, convoluted, twisted, confusing, and oftentimes hilarious cultural moment, right? Yeah, for sure. And today, that uh, confusing, messy thing we're talking about is part two of our politics series, which is going to be... How, how big is this series going to be? Uh, I, I, we're I think, thinking five or six parts now, yeah. right? <laughs> you know, we're just going to spend just gonna until the going. summer, through the summer, we're talking about politics. a political podcast. I no, would, no. Yeah, obviously not. <laughs> Definitely not. It's not what we're doing. So we're wrapping it up in this episode. Everything we can fit into the next maybe half an hour. Um, obviously we'll keep the conversation going, maybe come back to specific subjects, but yeah, for sure. Um, kind of before we dive in, let's recap very briefly what would you say, you know, in summary of what we talked about, what is politics and yeah. how does that launch us into today's talk conversation? Right. So last time we talked a lot about the theory of politics, what it really is. It's a broad term really just to talk about the extension of public ideas or, or personal ideas into public space. And on the national level, of course, this impacts how people live through legislation, um, through laws and we talked about how we're getting so polarized, how some of that has to do with the media, um, our loneliness in our culture, how people want a place to belong. Uh, but we didn't talk a whole lot about the specifics of uh, more questions like, you know, how does the church deal with that messiness of politics? Right. What's our responsibility as Christians? Um, how should we look at, uh, you know, people like Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton and as Christians choose between two very flawed, very imperfect options. Right. How do we make sense of this stuff? And I think I think it was really helpful how you said that basically politics is really an extension into the public space of the private personal ideas of the individual. Yeah. And really what that tells us is that the political field, the political space is not a neutral ground. Uh, it is the battleground of the gods. You know, in many ways, it's it's really the... It's the battle place of the things that the people of our country hold most precious and dear. Right. And that starts to make sense why we see such a crazy and twisted and circus-like performance in front of us today. Yeah, even more so than in the past, just because I think people are searching for more of a show than they used to. um, And that polarization definitely contributes to that. 
But, um, I mean, what's... Let me say one more quick thing before you dive yeah. in. So, I to add to the fact that politics is a battlefield of the gods, a battlefield of the, our, our things that we worship and we desire most, I think we, we talked a lot about media last time. Right. Because media, though a neutral thing by itself, um, has become, in our age, a... Uh, almost like a catalyzing agent that like magnifies the brokenness of human hearts even more right. today because m- today social media uh, electronic forms of reporting and TV are responding to what the viewers want to say or hear right exactly so what that means is what gets clicked on is what pays which is what's reported, mm-hmm. which means that the, the, the greedy, um, selfish human ambitions that are responding to the poor headlines and the inflammatory and divisive content is actually creating a vicious cycle, right? Um, right, this feedback loop where the, the particular news outlets that cater to one group of people get feedback and do more of the same. Right, right. So you definitely... I, I think I have a deep respect for true reporting. Yeah. People who uh, want to tell the truth and who want to work in this field to communicate the truth that others don't see, you know, huge respect for that. Yeah. And that as a, it's a dying breed in a social media crazy world. Right. So the, the media component inflames the whole thing yeah, even more, right? Definitely. And, you know, it's kind of interesting because people talk about journalists and how a journalist's job is to report uh, without any bias. Mm. But that's really difficult because I don't think I've ever heard of anybody who goes into the journalism field because they're dispassionate about issues. Right. Usually people go into journalism because they have biases, because they have ideas, because they have passions about how the world should work. Right. And that obviously gets carried into their reporting and they choose to report from one perspective or the other perspective. Right, right. So that's what politics is. Let's just talk about um, the left for a moment. Um, Mostly that's seen in the Democratic Party of today. Um, And just, I think that the Democratic Party is in a very messy and confusing place. Yeah, I mean, I think both parties are in they kind are. Of a messy and confusing place, but the Democratic Party has definitely moved a lot more in terms of its values and its party platform in the last decade to two decades. Right, and you see extreme perspectives in the left today that never would have been endorsed in the left Yeah. Uh, during like the Kennedy ago, years or the years Clinton, ago. even the, the Bill Clinton years. Right, right. Yeah. Bill Clinton could not get elected today as a Democratic, no. uh, given his perspectives from the 90s. Like, right. he would never get elected. He's too conservative. So what's going on in the left? Why is the left falling over itself, trying to crawl leftward in a quote-unquote progressive way, def- uh, redefining the family, redefining sexuality, Redefining what it means to be human. Why do we see this desperate crawl in in all directions and this almost chaotic reality? Yeah. Well, I think that what we see in this regard is that 
worldviews, if they are not right, tend to self-destruct at this point, at some point in their history. And the Democratic Party, uh, or just the left in general, I think is the manifestation of years and years of postmodernism and the inconsistencies that come with that. Right, and so, even before postmodernism, like humanism. Humanism, where right. The science, left was enlightenment, born. Yeah. Um, the sexual revolution, freedom of the individual over any type of um, binding community values. Right. Those are all the things that the Democratic Party embraced. And it used to actually be there wasn't much of a difference in terms of social issues between Democrats yeah. and Republicans. They it, weren't that different. No, yeah. they, they really weren't. 40 years ago, 50 years ago. to speeches from Democrats and Republicans 40, 50 years ago, they sound pretty much the same, with the exception of some economic issues. Right. Um, now, the dividing lines have mainly become about social issues. Right. Abortion, gay rights, transgenderism, and also the economic issues have become um, much more extreme. Right. To the point of uh, borderline Marxism. Yeah. Actual full Marxism full in a blown, lot of cases. Yeah, yeah, and, and And I think maybe it even goes back to, you know... I'm going to butcher my history here a little bit, but the French Revolution as the birth of the left, you know... Of, it, of Marxist ideology? No, no, no. Of, like, no. the progressive perspective that seeks to rebel against tradition, no gods, no masters, rebel against a God-given authority, and make man and humanism as the central... Uh, source of authority. So man is the measure of all things. And yeah. So anyways, we're not going to go too philosophical. But the point <laughs> is, the point is today you look at the left, you see things like the Green New Deal, which is the, a, a radical, like almost Marxist redistribution of wealth, uh, radically rewiring all of society based on the rights of the environment and all these things. So what is going on? It's 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 a godless perspective of reality, a, a atheistic perspective of reality working itself out. If there is no God who tells us how life should be, therefore we get to decide. Therefore the individual is God. Whatever the individual desires, society must surrender. And everything that is trying to make the individual do something that the individual doesn't want is called oppressive. Oppressor, yeah. There's only victims and there are oppressors. That's how the left interprets the world right. and world events. Right. Victims and oppressors. And again, the whole victims and oppressors thing goes back to an essentially atheistic world. So if, there, if, if all is just evolution, think about it, there is only power. So people like Nietzsche and Karl Marx, they were right when they said, there is no God, there's only power. There's only my power, one creature's power over another creature. And so... If there is no God, um, they're not crazy. You know, like I think a lot right. of times people who are like Christian, oh, they're so stupid. Like <laughs> a lot of people who disagree with you, they have a different perspective. And based on that perspective, they arrive at those conclusions. Right. But you have to understand it that. It was a completely different starting point. They're not reasoning from the same set of assumptions that you are as a Christian. Right. So the left and so and, and the crazy thing you see as of the Democratic Party, it's it seems like it's a, in, in chaos. It's a total mess because um, it's trying to live by its own rules and its own rules are destroying it. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what I was thinking about today. I was like thinking about this whole topic, you know, and the Christians are always like bemoaning like, oh my goodness, you know, the apocalypse is coming, culture is falling apart, everybody's against Christians. And it's true. Yes, it's true. Society is 
plummeting away from a Christian perspective. That's why we're saying this podcast is about living, following Jesus in a post-Christian world. Mm, yeah. This is where we find ourselves. But I don't know. In in a sense, I almost kind of like see this glimmer of hope when I'm looking at the left and I'm like, oh my gosh, they they're a mess. Like they don't have a coherent like future. Like they will burn themselves to the ground. The you know, the revolutionary eventually right. sets himself on fire. Right. Well, I mean, it's kind of interesting. You look at the whole Me Too movement, for example, which there's been good and bad things that have come from that. And right. that's a whole nother discussion in of itself. But now you have Joe Biden, a Democrat who is a huge supporter of that, being caught up in allegations of sexual harassment against right. women. Right. And a lot of people in the Democratic Party just don't know what to do with that. Yeah. You could be next. Yeah, you're. Yeah, you have to cheer loud and hard, and you and you and you better keep your head down because you might be the next one that is the oppressor that we're gonna take down. Right. So, anyways, um, it's important to have this perspective to see to look at and understand the ideas of the people that oppose you or have a different perspective of you. But I think this also brings us to Trump. So Trump, we have now heard. I think. Uh, the Trump phenomenon is like it's 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 a it's a term now. Yeah. And I'm sure that the Trump phenomenon will be a term in political science textbooks in the future if we have if we have political <laughs> science textbooks. If we have, if we have any a textbooks. Society. <laughs> if we're not all living in a post-apocalyptic nuclear yeah. war zone, no, I'm it's not going to be that bad. Jesus will come <laughs> before that happens, hopefully. Um but Okay, so let's let's just throw some ideas around. What do you make? How do you make sense of Trump? Uh, good, bad, ugly. Yeah, all sides. Just well, let's like, see. So going back to Eve's question, how do Christians engage in political activism and be kingdom minded? Right, really is what this comes down to. Because a lot of Christians have been asking themselves, how do we support someone like Trump, who has this messy life, this messy past? We're not really sure what he is. Maybe he's a demagogue. He just what does of, he even believe? We what is he? Need, right. What is his? Is he just saying these things because that's what he thinks people want to hear, and he'll be loyal to whoever will vote for him? Who is Donald Trump? <laughs> um, and like honestly, we don't really know. Yeah, but it comes down to this this question of a lot of it is pragmatism versus idealism. Right. Um, so what do you mean by that? Explain a little bit. Yeah, and, and everyone who's heard, well, you know, the alternative is Hillary Clinton. Right. I'm um, voting for him anyway. Um, obviously lies on the pragmatic side. Someone who says, well, you know, I'm going to write in a third-party candidate or I'm not going to vote this election because I just can't support either of these people. He is too immoral. He's too immoral. Yeah. He's done too many bad things. I don't think he's conservative. Those people are the idealists. Right. Um, and, I mean, personally, I actually err on the side of um, the more pragmatic one. But so you look at the results and you you don't like the guy, but you realize that the whole thing is going to burn down and he might be a thing that holds it up longer or gives some sort of opportunity for a comeback. I mean, we know the world is kind of burning down regardless of who we vote for, because Christ is going to come back someday. We know things will get very bad. Right. And the world is subject to the destructive force of entropy, you know, and that includes our political system. But. So you you choose the lesser of evils. So there's so there's three perspectives on Trump from Christians, right? 
Perspective A, he's terrible, immoral, and unqualified to lead. We can't have him as a leader in our nation and what, you know, let our kids uh, explain to our kids what kind of person he is and what kind of stuff he's done in his sexual past and his, you know, lying, cheating, whatever. Uh, that's the first perspective. Second mm-hmm. perspective is, yep, he's terrible, but we need to survive and he is, be- you know, he's the lesser of two evils. So I'll vote for him, you know. And then perspective three, um, Trump is Jesus, and he is the second coming. He's going to save all of us right. from the evil Democrats and many Christians who have turned. I think the he's whole a prophet or something. Yeah, well, you know. maybe not literally, but many Christians are just they love him because he has he has come to deliver us from the progressive left, and they seem to completely overlook the fact that he is a morally very dirty person right. and somebody that you would not want to be your children's uh, school principal. Right. Um, I mean, yeah, I think the first step, honestly, is to realize, first of all, that this issue is not necessarily black and white. There are idealistic people who are true Christians, who love Jesus, who um, are not going to vote for Trump or didn't vote for Trump, who are absolutely solid in their worldview. And then there are other people who are more pragmatic, who are also true Christians. Yeah. Um, so this isn't obviously a defining issue of salvation, but it's important to reason through them and realize that there are well-meaning Christians on both sides um, who chose right. to vote the way that they did based on very good reasons. I think the other thing here is that we're talking, what is he, two years in? So uh, three third years. year. Yeah. Um, I think it's been a very interesting to see his track record. So he has not – the interesting thing about the whole Trump thing um, is that he is – yeah, he's kind of crazy. He's a clown. He says crazy stuff. He'll call he, Kim he, Jong-un fat and short on Twitter. Yeah. When like, you're just looking at that like, like what? are you like, kidding? Like insane. Like he's a clown. And yet uh, in, the, in terms of the stuff that he's done, the things that he's accomplished in Washington, he has done a lot – for conservative-minded Americans right. in terms of what they've wanted. And not so, like faux conservatism, like actual right, truly right. Like supporting... On paper, he's done some big stuff. Uh, right. And, and, I mean, he's been beholden to his campaign promises, yeah. which is something we don't see very often. Uh, I think part of it, actually, is because Christians were so skeptical of him, or at least a lot of Christians were, and that he's realized that he has to actually prove himself to that base of people. For some reason, he's doing... For some reason, what, yeah. He's doing a lot of right stuff. Even though he talks crazy, he, he, he writes things that are horrible. He acts in a very embarrassing manner. <laughs> so that's all true. And he has a horrible history. And he's not a moral person. He doesn't, yeah. be, he doesn't fear God. And yet, he's... Done, so actually, I was listening to another thing today where this guy was talking about this analysis from a perspective... This one scholar who an- analyzes Trump. And he says, Trump is like chemotherapy uh, to America. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, so... Drain um, the swamp, right? The you point know. of chemotherapy is to destroy the cancer. And the thing about chemotherapy, th- chemotherapy is toxic and destructive itself. When you have yeah. cancer and you go for chemotherapy, the goal is that the chemo will kill more cancer cells it than it does other cells. good cells. Yeah. 
and that it does more good than it does damage. And reset your entire body's immune system. Right, right. And give your body a chance to heal. So, and what he's saying is the radically secular left has created so much destruction and and, and problems in the works Hmm. in American culture. Um, Trump is in a sense uh, someone, an agent that comes in for better or worse, he's here and he's doing these things and he's actually doing things that are beneficial to... Cons- you know, so, so Right. I mean, he's been pro-life for the most part, pro-free market. Very he's, explicitly, yeah. Yeah. Um, right. And so he is not what you want, you know, in a good, beautiful, thriving no. culture. You don't want him, somebody like him to be the, the, the commander-in-chief for 50 years. That is not normal. Nope. But... He, there is some good coming out of this. Um, and so what do we make sense of it? You know, that's this is kind of the tension. I think when you analyze Trump, there's different perspectives. He's crazy. He's hilarious. He's embarrassing. He's immoral. And yet he has done... A, he's not afraid mm-hmm. to do whatever he wants. And so far, he's wanted to do things that are good for America um, in terms of policy now right the question is still out has he done more damage on a moral level on a inflammatory level yeah see i don't, I don't know. I think a lot of that know. is a result of the media and the polarization that we've right. seen a lot of it's been blown out of proportion but i mean well, trump didn't make america more immoral yes he took advantage of the fact that it already is immoral yes, yes. we're already in moral decay um and that's both sides that are experiencing that and 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 Trump should make us uncomfortable as Christians. Yes. If he ever stops making us uncomfortable, then we need to seriously reevaluate our faith and our worldview and how we relate that to the rest of the world. Yeah. Um, but we can't just point fingers at them and say, oh, the world is immoral. Um, you know, the left is, they're evil. Yeah. We all are evil. We're all in need of redem- redemption. And there's not going to be a perfect candidate out there. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. I think that you have to be honest about, yes, as a Christian, you see a, the progressive worldview is creating damage on the left. The left is dangerous to human flourishing. But at the same time, you look at the history of the right and the, the conservative circles have lots of corruption and lying and cheating as well. So like, mm-hmm. and a lot of Americans are very one-sided as they analyze. We, we become so bi, you know partisan divided, we become more loyal to a political party than we do to the Christian worldview right. and faithfulness to Christ. And that's, that's really a problem. Um, right. If you talk more about um, you know, politics around the dinner table than you do about truth and the gospel. And, Christ, and the kingdom of Christ. Then, then you may have a problem. You may be putting your allegiance in something that is not rooted in your Christian identity right. or rather in your political identity. Right. So... I think that that helps us kind of grasp the tension that all Christians yeah. kind of find themselves in. So we're going to go also now could just kind of rapid fire through some questions. Some of these questions kind of hit on what we just talked about. Some of them hit on some new territory, which is really good. Yeah. Uh, do you want to start? Do you want me to read off some questions? Well, yeah, I think the first one um, is, it's a really good question, but can Christians vote Democrat? And that's a super good question. Um, I mean, we've already touched on it a little bit, but 
I think that a Christian who, who really understands their worldview and their belief system and those bigger questions about faith and human flourishing, like, I think they would look at the slate of Democratic candidates most of the time and ask, who How I can you for? in good conscience? Yeah, who, yeah. So, so I mean, I this think, isn't, again, an issue of salvation, but I obviously. think that a Christian who's truly reasoned through what they believe would not come to the conclusion that the Democratic Party supports their belief system. Right. And if they do, I think it's very naive. Yeah. We have to be very careful when we talk about Christian, the Christian perspective being aligned with this or that political party. That's dangerous, okay? Right. We don't want to say Christians always vote with this political party because our allegiance is to King Jesus only. And we have to interpret all that we see in the culture through our allegiance to Christ, his kingdom, and the Christian worldview. I think that when you talk about the Democratic Party, 40 years ago, for a Christian to vote Democratic, 30 years ago, 20 years ago even, that was very different than for a Christian to vote Democrat today. Today, when you look at the people within the Democratic Party and you look at the things that the Democratic Party has clearly placed as its utmost priorities... Yeah, I mean, you'd be, so including, we're talking about radical abortion at all costs. I mean, every member of Congress voted against a bill that would protect children who have been born from being killed. Right. After they're born, in a messed up abortion that they survived. If a baby survives an abortion and the baby is alive, the doctor can still kill the baby. And every Democratic... Member of Congress. I think Congress and the Senate, both the House and the Senate, voted against against that bill. Don't save the baby. So, and again, 40 years, 30 years ago, they would not have voted this way. Today, the Democratic Party is in a radically uh, just rolling downhill, gaining speed, leftist, progressivist, anti-God perspective. So when you look at the abortion thing, you look at the transgender LGBTQ radical craziness about making people use different pronouns and letting people identify themselves as unicorns if they so choose. Like absurd stuff. Yeah. It's like, yeah, we may have Trump. He's embarrassing. Um, There's a lot that we don't like about him, but the alternative is literally so bad. That's where a lot of people from the more pragmatic um, perspective are coming from. Yeah, I've heard Christians who say, you know, I vote Democrat because the Democratic Party has historically watched out for the underdog, has looked after the smaller people, less fortunate, minorities, things like that. And that is true. But again... Okay, yes, the Democratic Party maybe has a better perspective, better approach to policies, or used to have a better approach to policies related to race or um, things like that, or immigration. But again, um, when you look at the radical anti human life, anti family agenda that is very clear today, I would have a very hard time, I would have a very hard time understanding how you could vote. You know, so and, and another this, important thing with that is to not confuse crazy people with the party or with right. a party. People think, well, Republicans they aren't for helping the poor. They don't they don't like homeless people or immigrants or whatever. I think a truly conservative person who's reasoned through what they believe in will be compassionate towards them. Will right. always want to help the poor in some way. Right. That crazy guy across the street flying a Confederate flag who says he who he hates, you know, Hispanic people right. or immigrants or 
uh, you know, that we should round up the homeless people and put them in prison. Like, he's not actually a conservative. Right. He's a nihilist. Right. Masquerading as a conservative. A true conservative does not believe those things. Yeah. I think connected to this question, um, one of the guys here from Bellingham uh, asked, can Christians support Planned Parenthood? I think that's a no-brainer. Yeah. Um, just coming out straight and saying it, it's impossible to call yourself a Christian and support an organization that makes its money off killing babies. Right. And I think uh, what a lot of people maybe are getting here is that Planned Parenthood offers a lot of STD testing and other right. community health services. Um, that being said, that's still not reason to support them. There are a lot of other clinics, uh, community health clinics, that can provide those services. Right. Um, nonprofit pregnancy resource clinics often provide those as well. Um, I think if you're going to support an organization, support one of those, not Planned Parenthood. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Very little other organization in our time today has caused more damage to the image of God yeah. and man than this organization. And like as a separate topic of research, if you're interest, interested in this, I would highly recommend you research Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, and her ideas on eugenics, which she took very directly from a lot of Nazi philosophy. Yeah, she was a radical racist, and one of the reasons why she believed in abortion was to purge America of black people. Right. Uh, because a lot of the people that got abortions were black women. Yeah, and if, even if you look today, statistically, the highest rates, uh, the areas with the highest rate of abortion tend to be low economic status black neighborhoods. Hmm. And um, that's... Planned Parenthood's primary clientele. Yeah. So as we're landing, or actually one quick one, why are churches so passive oftentimes and oh, not yeah. encouraged uh, in a nutshell? What would you say in two sentences? Why do Christians often bury their heads in the sand and so blind on this whole thing? Well, one, I think that we believe a lie that Christians should not be involved in politics because we have a constitutional doctrine of separation between church and state. That's very, very misunderstood. Hmm. Um, and that's often thrown at us like, stay out of politics. Don't bring your faith. Don't bring your religion into the public space because we have separation of church and state. Right. When the reality is that meant something entirely different. I mean, if, if your faith does not move you to want to be involved in the social issues of our world, of our politics then I would question the legitimacy of your faith. Yeah. James says faith without works is dead. Yeah. So if your faith just leads you to read your Bible and pray, but not to love your neighbor, to do good to society, to build up the image of yeah. God in the culture, right? Mm -hmm. And the other thing is that I think often pastors and church administrators are afraid of losing people. They're afraid of offending people from the pulpit yeah. by talking about political issues. When the fact is that political issues are at their root social issues and you can't avoid them and lead a congregation the way it should be led. Right, right. So as we're closing, I want to land and kind of take a little time here to answer Eve's question in a more full, like, what does it look like, bullet point style, for Christians to be politically active and kingdom-minded at the same time? First thing I wanted to say was join a church. Why is that political? <laughs> join a church? Well, because you're not going to have any worthwhile perspective on politics if your worldview is not in the right place. Right. And being involved in a church community is crucial to understanding 
the Christian's relationship to the rest of the world. Right. And like we said earlier, all politics is a battlefield of the gods. The most political thing you can do today is worship Jesus with your life. Uh, Worship Jesus in community with other Christians. That is political, not in the sense that you're trying to stand out there, pass laws. That is political in the sense that you are impacting society because you are proclaiming and living out the name of Christ. That's where all change starts. Yeah. So um, the second thing, and again, I'm stealing some of these from Jonathan Lehman's book. We'll put the link in there again. You guys, check out that book. It's a good book. It's called How the Nations Rage by Jonathan Lehman. He said, use whatever stewardship you have. So, you know, lots of times we think of radical measures. I need to go to Washington and work for a congressman, and then I'll be, you know, making a difference. But, yeah, and some people are called to do that, obviously. Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah. But I think... It's not everything. Right. And if but everyone did that, we'd, I mean... Who'd be America living be? the normal life, yeah. <laughs> Just be D.C. full of, you know, people who are working for Congress people. The whole point of D.C. is so that the rest of us can live a normal life in mm-hmm. our small town, Ferndale awesomeness, Bellingham awesomeness, you know. So use whatever stewardship you have. Be a good neighbor. Love people across the street. Serve. Give your time. Um, build relationships. Vote. You know, like right in front of you, what does it mean to be a good citizen, a good person, uh, a person who is spreading Christ's righteousness and justice? You know, start there. Yeah, and also be willing to have tough conversations with people, not in an assertive, I'm better than you, I'm right kind of way, but in a way that actually shows them that you want to understand their mindset, what they believe. You have to understand the people around you. You have to learn to understand ideas. Lots of times we live in our own little head, live in our own little churches, our own little small groups, friend bubbles, and we don't understand that people around us hold to a very different view of the world. And then we look at them with like, oh, they're so stupid. They're so crazy. And we have this like, um, this, this scorning, uh, hateful, ungracious, unchristian towards them. That's completely unjustified. Right, right. You have to understand how ideas work. You have to understand why people think the way they do. Not because all truth is relative. No, there is only one truth. But if you want to help people who are confused and lost, you will never be effective. You will never be convincing if you don't know how to reason with people. Right. If you don't understand how they think. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. You can't understand what you believe unless you understand what other people believe. Right. That really is what it comes down to. Because if you've never heard other perspectives, you have no reason to believe that your perspective is right if you haven't reasoned through the others to see why they are wrong. Right. And I think the other thing that is really important here is to be ready to invoke the authority of God. You believe that all truth comes from God. Learn to explain that. Learn to explain that where does truth come from and help people around you think about where does their truth come from. Yeah. Is it from the scientists and or from... like help people dig down a little bit deeper. Yeah, and this also means preparing yourself. You know, watch videos or read a book from an actual Christian philosopher or apologist and understand the roots of explaining these arguments. You know, where does truth come from? How is it that we know there's such a thing as absolute good and evil? Like if there's good, there's necessarily evil. And explaining that those ideas that we hold to in our society have to have a source. They can't just be an evolutionary utility. Right. Um, and it really would help you understand where your beliefs come from and also allow you to engage with other people much better than you otherwise could. Yeah. 
This next one I put in, I said, hey, if you're so inclined, get a PhD and start institutions. <laughs> just, I think just that, go get a PhD. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not in a sense that education is the answer. No. But here's the thing. I think lots of times as Christians, we think too small. We think, oh, my little church, my little family, my little backyard, that's all I need. Well, you know, Christ forces you to look at all of his world. And Christ wants you to not be afraid to think about what he can do through you as you are willing to set big goals and achieve things for his kingdom. Um, one of the biggest movements in missionary history was William Carey, and he had this defining sermon he preached, and he made two points in the sermon. He said, expect great things from God, and then point number two, attempt great things for God. So like the two, believing in a great God and a great mm -hmm. kingdom makes you be bold and Society is built of institutions. Yeah, and it gives you a reason to do what you're doing. Right. Something right. beyond just support my family and make money. Right. Because those are, those are empty on their own. Right. And I think one thing that our generation is often lacking in understanding is that the thing that holds society together is institutions. Mm -hmm. Strong, held institutions which keep greedy men and women uh, in check. Building institutions, building solid colleges, solid media outlets, solid organizations that help poor people. Whatever it is, go study, work hard, build institutions, because institutions are the building blocks of society. Yeah. Um, we can talk about that a lot, but moving on to the next one, I think understand that all true political change, true political change can only happen when the Spirit of God gives somebody a new heart. Because true political allegiance happens when a soul turns from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. That mm, is ultimate universe politics. Jesus is coming back, and that is the political trajectory of the future. And when you understand that, you understand that you use practical means, you try to pass laws that help people live normal lives. But as a Christian, you also understand that your main job is to bear witness to Jesus and to spread the good news as much as possible so that people can know true transformation, you know? And then the last thing is to embrace the messiness of the process. Yeah. You know, politics should just be a constant reminder that we're imperfect people and that we need God right. in our lives, that we need salvation and that nobody can do this on their own. Any law that we make, any institution that we put in place on our own will be flawed. Right. And it's only really... But the only reason we have anything good in our world, that anything works, that we can actually rise above evil and do something for other people is because we have Christ in our lives. Right. And our truest hope is the coming kingdom of Christ. And our truest, you know, the places that the kingdom of Christ is most vividly seen is in the community of Christ in the church. The church is the outpost of the new kingdom. And so when you have that, you can embrace the messiness embrace the brokenness of this world because you have a higher hope. Mm -hmm. You have a hope that transcends whatever happens here. Sometimes society will go downhill hard and yet we have hope. Sometimes society will rise and get better and Christian perspective is re uh, re respected. And there you understand still that you're corruptible and you can fall. So that hope keeps you in check and gives you a long-term vision to embrace the messiness, do hard work, and yet at the end of the day, look to Jesus uh, as the ultimate solution. A uh, couple of just recommends. 
Check yeah. out Al Mohler. He's he's good. You just basic daily basic daily analysis of politics and from a Christian perspective. Check out Jonathan Lehman's book, uh, How the Nations Rage, and Ben Sass's book, yeah. Them. Yeah, we mentioned those in the last podcast. All really good. Another one that I would like to recommend yeah. is called Money, Greed, and God by Jay Richards. Um, it's an excellent primer for any Christian who wants to, to better understand economic issues, like basic economics of capitalism, communism, different economic systems that have been tried. What does the Bible say about these things, and which of them contribute to human flourishing on earth? Nice. And it's an exceptional read. Uh, it will give you a good perspective and help you to probably engage with your neighbors who may not agree with you as well. Awesome. Wow. Well, that was quite a ride. Uh, Thank you guys so much for hanging in there with us. That was a mouthful. There's a lot that we covered there. We're so excited to come back and bring you more content in the coming weeks. Um, Yeah, part three of the political series. Yeah, (laughs) we're done with politics for a bit. (laughs) But if you like what you're hearing, share it, please. Send it to a friend. Uh, Tell them about why this podcast has benefited you. Uh, Rate us on iTunes. Give us a rating. That helps other people find the show. And check out the support page. Uh, We want to grow this thing. We want to give you guys more good stuff. We want to bring more thoughtful content that helps us engage this crazy world. But we're limited, and uh, the support page kind of outlines some of the ways that we can expand this project, Lord willing. Expand our foam closet. Yeah. Make it bigger. I like the foam closet. It's cozy. (laughs) 